0: It's quite a story Jesus has for us tonight. You can almost see it in your mind's eye. The rich man in purple and fine linen feasting sumptuously every day. The poor man, ragged and wounded, with the stray dogs licking the open sores on his legs. Ooh, it's shocking. And on top of everything right at the outset, we know that Lazarus is lying right by the rich man's gate. He's right there, so close that the rich man's table scraps are not a hypothetical. They're a reality. From these opening images, the story builds. And the more it builds, the more you can see it. Lazarus is carried up to heaven by the angels. My imagination shades in fluffy white clouds, harps, He is vindicated at last in paradise. And the rich man is taken down to hell to suffer amidst the flames. Your imagination would be forgiven the addition of pitchforks, even a red devil with a smile that doesn't reach his eyes. This reversal of fortunes makes sense. It seems fair. It even seems familiar. (laughs) That Lazarus arrives in heaven and the rich man in hell it fits our instinct for retributive justice, our desire to see just deserts. But it doesn't sound quite like Jesus. It's not just the liberties I took with the more cartoonish details. There's a reason this scenario sounds more like a cartoon than it sounds like Christ. When I read the Gospels, I hear Jesus longing for us to change, longing for us to take seriously the consequences of our own actions. But he doesn't wait to give us clarity until we are truly beyond redemption. I also want to be very clear, I don't believe in a three-tiered universe with heaven above and hell below and life as we know it somewhere in the middle. And I don't think that that's the the eternal life that we encounter in Scripture. But I do believe that we can make some truly terrible choices. And when we face them, because we have to face them, it can be torment. Because choices are really what this parable is all about. The rich man always chooses himself. He chooses his comfort, his safety, his convenience, it certainly sounds like he chooses not to see Lazarus, even when all should be clear that the tables have turned and things have gone truly wrong. The rich man chooses himself. He believes that he is worthy of some kind of fundamental regard, that he is worthy of mercy from Abraham. And more than that, when it seems the the rich man finally notices Lazarus, he is still only thinking of himself. Lazarus ought to run along and help him out. He ought to get him some cool water, ought to get a message to the rich man's family to warn them before it's too late. Even though his way of approaching the world has literally damned him to hell, the rich man remains at the center of his own regard with people like Lazarus off at the margins. It's no accident that a great chasm, a great divide separates the rich man and Lazarus now. The rich man spent his life putting it there, putting distance between himself and his neighbors, putting distance between himself and Abraham and Moses and the prophets. The law of the Lord that instructed him in no uncertain terms to open his hand to the needy. To me, that's the key. The rich man dug his own grave, yard by purple linen yard, forkful by sumptuous forkful. He poured his energy and his focus and his care into himself, and it yielded what it always does, pleasure for a time and ultimately nothing. Some of you may have participated in our St. James Bible Memorization Project. It's geared towards our younger friends, but it really is for everybody. Every week of the program year, we're all invited to memorize the same verse from the Sunday's lectionary. And we're particularly blessed that one of our parishioners, Joni Grossman, creates a drawing for every single week. We reproduce them in black and white so they can be used as coloring sheets But do yourself a favor and head down to the basement through the lobby of the parish house, and you'll see them in full color. I bring this up to say her drawing for this week features a gorgeous doorway, a handful of marble steps, black wrought iron, a gorgeous beaming light. It's beautiful. And it's familiar because I could have sworn that I walked past the same doorway last week on 76th Street between 5th and Madison. But Joni's drawing is, of course, not just of a doorway. There is a figure wrapped in a sleeping bag out on the sidewalk. And that's familiar too. Few, if any of us here tonight are in purple and fine linen or are feasting sumptuously every day But before we reassure ourselves that we are not really rich, and certainly nothing like the cartoonishly self-absorbed rich man in the parable, we have to remind ourselves that this story is fundamentally familiar. I would imagine that many of us have people that we walk by. And I know some of us here tonight have been walked by. It hurts. All of us regularly see things that we would rather just not see and that we choose to ignore. And it is for that that Jesus tells this parable, to get our attention, to shock us, and to get us to take our own choices seriously. That is where the rich man went wrong, carving out his widening chasm, assuming that there is no better life Than the one spent focused on oneself, assuming that the words of Moses and the prophets are a beautiful tradition and not a living, necessary covenant, and choosing each time he went through his gate to pay no attention to the poor man huddled by the door. So much of our world feels beyond us, too big, too bad, too sad, too impossible to fix or affect. God is not saying that we have to solve every problem in the world ourselves or risk going to hell. He is saying that we need to acknowledge the people who are at our gate, our poor neighbors, our immigrant neighbors, our vulnerable neighbors, our trans neighbors. There are people right at your gate, right in your life, People sleep on the steps of this church every day. And when we pass them by, when we say, it can't be our problem, it's too hard, we lose a piece of ourselves. We lose a piece of our humanity. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? There was a Jesuit priest and activist named Daniel Berrigan He burned draft cards during Vietnam and took a hammer to nuclear warheads, and he went to jail again and again for all these small acts of protest that couldn't possibly, it seemed, do much of anything. The author Jim O'Grady once asked him if it was tiring to constantly work at the fringes, fringes of the Catholic Church of American politics, of polite discourse, Was it tiring to constantly work on the fringes? And Daniel Berrigan pointed him to his longtime friend Dorothy Day, founder of The Catholic Worker, a volunteer community devoted to pacifism and serving the poor. She has always thought of her work as residing at the center of the Gospels, Berrigan said. It was up to everyone else to move toward her. It's about choices, We choose our center if we focus on ourselves or on others, if we bring our hearts back here each week to pray that we can do better this week. We choose our center. And Jesus lays his cross over the chasm to be a bridge, to help us over, if we choose to go. Amen.